Welcome back, folks, to another episode of High Tech. You've got Josh and Will back here for another round. We're excited this week to kind of get literary. We've got a little bit of a theme, I think. Books. Yeah. Technology. The newest. The newest. They're like, man, they've ran out of ideas. By this episode, they've moved from good apps and tech to books books we went back in space no and and we're gonna tie it all together i think but uh, you know i i maybe. remember i got maybe <laughs> I, I got the first generation kindle have you ever seen one of those oh yeah yeah my, my godmother a, got it for I'm me i'm a little older than you remember man yeah I've oh oh <laughs> oh 13 months or something i don't even know no i guess you're january i'm september yeah. so it's what's math 21 months older than me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. That's yeah. just enough time to have seen the early Kindle. <laughs> and, and fire for the first time. <laughs> and fire. Were you part of uh, coming up with that one, too? You yeah, were rubbing the sticks together? Anyway, I'm, well, I'm glad we're really on topic. Did you uh, meet the guy who uh, made the wheel? Were you there for that? Yeah, it was crazy, man. Uh, insane times. The jokes must have been rolling after that. Oh, that was... If they were, they weren't that bad. That was a bad one. That was. <laughs> so we're going to start this episode out with a quick conversation about favorite books. I mean, there's just so much I think that you can find in a book. And and I think just looking at Josh and my couple of notes here, you know, we went fiction. We went total just pleasure books. Yeah. Fiction. Yeah. Like I have a lot of like obviously books that I love in the space I'm reading right now, work wise and. Um, like for me theology and stuff like that but when it comes to like favorite book i i like i'm an escapist i like to escape you know oh yeah so those books are nice but they make me they make me think right so that's effort and 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 probably one of my more recent like professional books that i really fell in love with was the handbook of distance education and that's not something you sit down to read you, you, yeah, you, you, you don't read just it. sit down for the weekend and just Pump that out through the handbook yeah. of distance education. No, you go back to it as a reference book. So, so for pleasure, um, I gotta say the Lord of the Rings books. I, I had some difficulty reading them. They're they're definitely in the top for me. I mean, there's just such a deep, rich lore to them. The Harry Potters were my first. Like the Harry Potter book one was the thing that got me into reading myself voraciously. Okay. I grew up with like one or two books that my parents helped me read, and I, I was interested in as a kid. But Harry Potter, I got the first book. You couldn't stop me. Uh, but right now, my favorite book and series is absolutely Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, it's just so, such a farce. It's so absurd. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. He's, he's always looking at weird things and, and perceiving the world in a different way. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that right now. Those are good choices. I mean, I have not, I have not actually read Hitchhiker's Guide. I've watched the movie um i know the movie pretty much the same thing like like the back of my hand um only because as a as a teenager i got grounded once and couldn't watch tv and i had an ipod that had hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy on it and i watched that religiously um oh my <laughs> it was the only thing i could watch and that was a sad story so i'm gonna move on from that and go to <laughs> go to my book yeah so i mean like, i i'm a huge nerd it's such a surprise to to will um to those of you listening who may not know me that well it might be a surprise you may have thought i was a jock Kelsey. see me and uh if you could it would be evident um but the um, 
<laughs> but for me, like, I, okay, I love Lord of the Rings. I read read Lord of the Rings a ton, but I won't pick that one because I feel like that's just assumed under being a nerd. You should like Lord of the Rings. If you don't, that's a problem. Um, but for me, once I've been obsessed with uh, that got me back into doing more like fiction reading in college uh, was an author by the name of Brandon Sanderson. And if for mm. some reason he ever listens to this podcast, which would be incredible. Um, the uh, I love his writing. Okay. <laughs> like it's just, it's so good. When you talk about lore, this guy built an entire universe of like planets that his books take place on and they all are interconnected. Um, I don't know what he does. If he just like draws maps of story in his room and does them but recently uh his he's got a second to newest one in a series called the stormlight archive called oathbringer it was really uh really liked that book it was solid it's a good story um i would try to explain it but it's not worth our time um, before we got started tonight he was pulling a book off his shelf in the background and showed me it's like it's these brandon sanderson books you could it's like a nextel phone yeah they're like hey old man do you remember the nextel phone yes i do yeah, yeah they were exactly. crazy new tech yeah no i mean it's like it's like 1300 pages long, something like that. And not big text. Like it's, uh, it is like a Bible. Um, you drop that on your foot, your foot, you're, you're going to lose yeah, a toe. It is, it is not a book to be messed around with, but um, yeah, I just, yeah, I really like his books. I think he does a good job of like, not just writing good story, but like writing worlds and like crafting worlds um, in just like really creative ways. So that is, that has been a book that I'm quite enjoying well and and i know between us we share a lot of like topical interests so lord of the rings josh and i have gotten together and watched them a number of times i watch them every year okay extended blu-ray extended blu-ray we just saw an imax release a couple months Um, ago of uh, fellowship fellowship but but it takes a lot for us to kind of decide right i mean every book you jump into every series you jump into you got to determine whether or not it's good enough for you and like josh and my i think criteria is probably going to focus really on that deep lore and that detail like yeah if if it's rich if it's and that's something that i liked about harry potter and the books it set it up really well but now it's going further with like fantastic beasts and some of the stuff that jk rowling is building up around the main um storyline every time i dip, dip a toe into lord of the rings field I learned something about it I didn't know. Whether yeah. it's about why he wrote something or why the character was that way or how Sam perceived Frodo. Like every any time every time I watch it, there you know, we watch we watch the extended edition, you know, every time. So we're watching four hours of content. And there's always something I miss that I'm just yeah. like, wow, did you notice how he did that or how I, he said I that? wish I could still say that um, about the movies, um, but I think I've seen them enough now. <laughs> like when we watched the fellowship. Uh, in IMAX, it was not the extended. And guys, I have not watched the regular theatrical version of the Lord of the Rings movie in probably I I don't know, like a decade. Ever? I mean, like it's been a while um, <laughs> since you saw it in theaters the like, first time. I saw it in theaters, I guess. Um, so like I'm sitting there watching the movie, and I hit a sad moment where I realized, um, hey this is where my extended disc changes over to disc two. That's how many times I've watched it. I know exactly the line and I know exactly the moments that the extended scenes were missing um, because I've seen it that many times. I once wrote a college paper while watching the entire extended editions of Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, it was not my best paper, um, but I sure had fun 
while writing it. So um. <laughs> now the, the the crossover here, I think, is the fact that we spend a lot of time working through these things and evaluating the best media. And, and when it's entertainment, it's easy to do that. You don't, you don't even think about that. But with our work, we have to do that very intentionally with apps. And to kick off our conversation this week, we really want to kind of dig into some of the things that Josh and I perceive are critical to deter- picking the best app. Picking the best book, what do you like? It's that easy, right? Yeah. Ed tech app, sometimes folks get pulled in by the marketing. They get oh, yeah. pulled in by what it looks like or that they think they like it. So like to bring it to bring this around, right? Yeah, like the whole don't judge a book by its cover. Um, common problem in ed tech um, is that we judge books by their covers. We take a look at what the tool says it's going to do. We get five seconds in it and then we start designing activities around it. Um, and we don't carefully evaluate whether it's actually good. Um, it has substance, you know, um, to what it does. Um, and also, I'd just like to pause for a second, guys. Can we, can we just, can we just, those of you listening, appreciate the transition that Will and I just pulled off, okay? Um, <laughs> we were talking about books and we just transitioned into tech apps, okay? I just like to, I feel like that was a moment we need to recognize. We won't do this commonly all the time. But all right, we're Deadpool. This, okay? Break, so, breaking the fourth wall. Breaking here. the fourth wall, yes. Okay, back to ed tech. Sorry. It's proud of us. We did a good thing. I was I was working so hard in my mind, literally looking to our notes, be like, all right, that word, okay, that word. All right, I can I can do this. I can make this happen. We got there. Yeah, but it's it's not it's not even just contrived, right? The the whole point of these the similarities are are important for evaluating apps, evaluating the things we like. Now, I I actually want to turn the conversation off to Josh to lead some of the things that he's doing at his institution and, and some of the resources he's pulled up that help him make the decisions because he's he's actually a decision maker in some of the space right now. I yeah. I'm I'm a consultant to faculty. Yeah. In, in many ways, right? So I don't, I don't tell them to use it or not to use it. I give them pros, cons, it works out. But I, but I wanted to, to kind of start with this little story um, of a recent interaction with a faculty member where we have an ed tech transition at my institution. So we've had something in place and that's going away and we're, we're picking up a new thing. Well, the old thing was working really well and, and I could see some people who used it well. And some of the people who are coming into the new thing are looking at it saying, okay, it does fancy things, I'm interested. I actually am happy to every time point back to the first person I got using the tool and say, well, this is actually the way to do it. We did it, we did the evaluation. We went through a lot of the steps we're going to hear with Josh today. We determined it was a good tool for the purpose. And then it worked out pedagogically. It, as, as I saw it happen in her classroom, as I watched her teach with this tool, 10 out of 10, she didn't just use the tool to get data. She didn't just use the tool to add grades. She didn't just use the tool to make things more efficient for herself. As she used the tool and got responses from the students, she took those responses and live in class would extend that from the students. All right, Joe, you said blah, blah, blah in the response. Take it further. Tell me a little bit more. Oh, you're, you know, and then if something wasn't going on the spot or it, was, it wasn't jiving, she'd be like, all right, that's fine, Joe. If you don't got something, I want you to ask Anthony because Anthony had a really great response, right? So, so as the responses are coming into this, this teacher, the, the tool was facilitating all this, but it still relied on her using it so well to engage her students across one another and with herself. It, I, I, I get excited thinking about that classroom. Like she just did it so well. And that to me is what we want to see. We don't do these evaluations 
to keep things out of people's hands or to stop people from having successful opportunities. We do these evaluations to ensure that the thing that's going into your hands is the best for the practice. And then we still need to be a part of good practices once we get to the classroom or the online experience. So that's my little story. Toss it over to Josh. You know, what do you, yeah. what do you got to help us start? Yeah. To so, um, and for context, like, I think there's, I think there's two pieces to this evaluation conversation. One, we've already kind of we've referenced, at least I hope we've referenced, depending on how we did editing of our videos or our uh, episodes, um, is uh, like this context of evaluating whether you should use a tool, like integrating it, things like that. But there's, a, there's kind of another level to evaluating tools that I've found that goes beyond just like integration um, paradigms, like the things that we talk about where, you know, is the tool, you know, what are we doing with it? Are we integrating it into our course? There's also just like, a basic level that often I find is skipped in education, which is like, is, you know, is this good? Um, is this going to become a hurdle? Um, and, th and that depends, like the, for context, what Will's talking about, like as a decision maker, um, I do kind of both. Uh, when in our situation, we have online courses, and then we also have like our, what we call our traditional courses, instructors teaching face-to-face. -face. Um, and when it comes to like instructors teaching face-to-face, -face, I'm more of a consultant space in that area like i can't tell them they can't use a tool in their classroom um you know or tell them they should or anything like that i, I consult and maybe help integrate if we have time to do that um, when it comes to online i am absolutely the doorkeeper uh of what this should look like um and uh and and i think when it comes to the apps we just have to carefully uh evaluate not just do they meet our teaching practices but are they are they good technology are they good apps are they going do they create problems for the students are they um are they accessible tools um and there's just a couple different things you have to look at um is this going to make the student's life more complicated uh based on a couple of things and, and i look at a couple of different things and this is still an evolving process for me but i take a look at a couple of different things first how does the tool function um does it actually meet the need we're talking about so to, to your comment about the ideal situation you had does this tool bring in information um, the way the instructor is envisioning that it's going to? You know, is are they taking right. questions? She, she, is she, it going to actually follow through? Yeah. Is it going to follow through on that, or did they get a really shiny promotion that it takes in questions, but really she's looking at a fancy Excel sheet um, and can't figure out how to get to what she wants um, or capture data? How does that do that? Um, is it functional? Uh, but then I think a lot of people stop there. There's other things you have to take a look at. Is the tool accessible? So accessibility is a big conversation in, in ed tech right now um, and in education. And there's varying degrees to how you meet that. Even the way I evaluate it, it's, it's not like we have a hard stop of like, if it doesn't meet this accessibility, we don't use the tool. We're evaluating it in concert with what it's supposed to be doing. So sometimes I'm evaluating a tool like some kind of drawing digital tool, and it's not perfectly accessible for someone who uh, you know, has vision impairment, um, like the screen reader can't read it. Well, there's also the problem of um, it's a it's a whiteboard tool that they, they're writing on an iPad anyway. So that's not the tool in itself is just not accessible in the activity. Right. So we may approve that tool um, with the acknowledgement that like this activity needs to be, you know, accommodated because it, it can't right. be. Yeah. Um, in the moment that that student gets that it is a sign that we need to yeah. work with that student to help them accomplish the learning goal without that activity because yeah. they won't be able to see it if the point is to see something. Yeah, so describe it like those, those we run into sometimes, um, but we're not like shutting them down. We're just acknowledging these problems with these 
these tools. Now, some we will. Uh, I like to, uh, and in my process, I'm going to bring up a few that I have killed uh, in our space. And here Ooh. goes here goes our sponsorships. Um, uh, <laughs> pew, pew, pew. I'm an education favorite. Okay, Prezi. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. Hey, yep, Prezi, yep. the favorite uh, presentation tool, right? Um, I took that out back and shot it. Okay, it came across our review uh, in in my workspace, and here's the why: it fails accessibility across the board. It does not do a good job of meeting accessibility. Um, and so when we were evaluating the tool, we were like, this is this doesn't meet that need. And here's the other thing we evaluate. Do we already have tools that do that? Um, <laughs> like, so like, cause here's the thing. I find it at tech, it's often the other thing we're evaluating is like, are we just throwing a new tool at the same thing that another tool does? And so for us, PowerPoint already did that. Uh, we use PowerPoint. Does it yeah. do it perfectly? No. Is it magic and beautiful and moves but around? But Josh, like what about does? the animation? I know. Um, no. Uh, but guess what PowerPoint does do? Uh, it's accessible. Um, so <laughs> so we shut that one down pretty quick. Uh, we, we killed Prezi. Uh, now, there are other instructors and students using Prezi on their own, and which is fine. We just don't have it as a supported tool uh, yeah. in our space. And that's yeah. where it's a little bit different. I'm evaluating things for actual supported tools across an online program of courses. As an individual instructor, you should still be looking at these things, but you're also the, I think the the weight is a little bit different. Like when I approve a tool, that means a support structure has to support that tool now. Um, and that might, is probably gonna be going into multiple courses. If you as an individual teacher approve a tool, it's going into your class. Like it's not going across and, and courses. I guess, I guess to, for the viewers sake, like. I know that plays out, Josh, in the fact that if you put something into those programs, it might be in three, four, five courses at least. And if a student has an issue in one of those courses, or if, or if, a stu if students have an issue with that tool, it's going to affect five courses worth of students. Yeah. And you guys need to know that the support's there to help all of them. Yeah. Whereas if a teacher takes on Prezi for themselves in their course and they have a student that they need to accommodate, that teacher has had to support one student. Yeah, and so it's a scalability thing, and I, I agree with you. Every faculty member should feel comfortable to and should be encouraged to try something. If they yeah. need to try something, try it. But at a programmatic level, a Josh and, other, and, and myself have been a part of the conversations. You just can't approve of Prezi. It's not going to yeah. go in. It's not going to go in. Um, it's it's. But you may use it in your own course with the one addendum that I will make. I hope you don't have to deal with any accessibility issues when you're providing a Prezi to someone because screen readers aren't picking that up. Um, and it's not going to meet that need. Um, the last thing I check out that I say everyone should check out, I don't care about scalability. This is one thing that I feel like people are not carefully looking at all the time. And that is privacy data protection and like rights on a tool now i threw out a lot of kind of bigger fancy words um, but really it's it's down to the it's down to the core of the philosophy of the tool um what what is their their stuff so to give you an idea of what how i do this uh i have gotten really good at reading terms of use agreements and privacy policies you know those things that we all just check off on our phone and we don't read carefully i agree to the terms and conditions yeah i yeah. agree to the terms and conditions i do that on my phone i don't do that when i'm picking ed tech because you're giving student information a lot of times um so we yep. do have to be careful about that like even on your own as an instructor i think you have to be careful about what tools you pick um there's uh goodness gracious this shows good research but um because i can't remember the name of the tool um uh oh my goodness talk um, me through it what is it called like what's it like what's it do i bet you uh, plagiarism it. tool gosh grammarly yeah uh, no not grammarly um, oh no great some canvas come on turn it in 
turn it in. There we go. Okay. okay. <laughs> here's going to trash some turn it in. Some turn it in's policies make it sound like they have ownership to the student's work. Like that's that's a problem mm. um, in some of these tools. Um, and so like you have to be careful to look at that. The other thing that uh, I try to take a look at is while in high tech, we love free. Um, the uh, There's a problem sometimes with free tools. When, free is our aesthetic. When tool is free, sometimes you're the product, okay? Yep. Like they're selling your data. Um, and you may not care about that, but your students like should care about that. Some students will. And so you're like, you have to just be careful about Piazza. what tools you're picking up. A tool oh, called Piazza was an early one in that space where I, I don't, I think this was always their model. <clears throat> they were pretty much free. It was very easy to use them, uh, even integrated at my institution. And yet they had a system in there that would kind of profile the students and connect them to job opportunities. Like they would get mailers, newsletters, whatever job. So that means Piazza got paid by whoever was trying to get those students jobs, which it sounds good, right? Doesn't that, but did the students ever with good knowledge, consent to that. And if I just told them to sign up for, for a, a course, for instance, it means I'm requiring a grade for their interaction. Is that not coercion? Do I not hold power over that person, making them do that, and they're choosing to do something that they may not want to do? That is, give Piazza their data and subject themselves to a third party that they don't want to be a part of. Like I, I get skeeved out by that. And, and Turnitin's got issues with it. I, I like that, at least in my institution, we turn it in. We've got the checkbox. The students can cannot yeah. submit their stuff to the repository. That was a good fix for that. Uh, Grammarly, we got dinged with this early. Grammarly was yeah. another one that yeah, got Grammarly dinged with that early. And they, statement. if you read their policies today, it's like, we do not own it. You know, like they have. Yeah, they were very really clear. They, they backed off that hard because they, they got burned by that. But the, the point of all of this, like we're going through all this, these pieces is like, um, is just take a careful look at the apps that you're you're pulling in as an instructor. Whether you're evaluating, like I am, of bringing multiple tools into like programs of courses, um, or you're even just looking at tools that you're gonna you're gonna bring into your space. Take a look. I know it's annoying, but read read the terms of use, read the privacy policies. You don't have to read all of it. Usually, you can skip ahead to the section where they start talking about this person owns this. Uh, this type of thing, or um, a couple of those things. Like, take a look at those, and then just test the tool, tool out. This is the one thing that I find faculty sometimes skip ahead on. They're so in, intent on doing what they want to do with a tool that they don't actually test it um, <laughs> to make sure that it does everything they want it to do. Or but it says it does it. <laughs> or you make assumptions about how it works. Um, and so I see this all the time: people making assumptions that like a certain tool does this, and then when it doesn't. They get frustrated or they get they get uh, burnt by it. But really, if you had done a oh, little bit more testing on the, the it, you would have probably found that out. The number one of those is, and you have reports, right? I mean, how yeah. many times have oh, I yeah. read something gives reports? And then the faculty member downloads a report and it's a CSV file and it's all these tables and columns. Oh, yeah. And they just can't it's make just sense an Excel of it. file and they have no idea what it is. And they're annoyed at the tool. Well, you should have looked at what I it had that does. conversation today with a faculty. Yeah. What is this? What like literally sent me a screenshot of this Excel file. Said, what am I looking at? I was like, yeah. that's columns and rows and each row, it's you know. Data. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think that's just I think it's a good way of taking a look at it and just being careful. Like another good example, because I think the way to talk through this the best is like giving some of those examples. Like I uh, just today had to review a tool uh, called Smart Draw. 
uh, for uh, instructor who wanted to have their students basically design a floor plan, okay? Um, and submit that to our LMS Canvas. Um, and uh, here was why we denied SmartDraw. Um, SmartDraw, and this is classic in education, uh, has a seven-day free trial, and you can use SmartDraw for that seven-day free trial. But after those seven days, it shuts the account down, and the person does not have access to what they created unless they pay. And this is my favorite. They don't have a monthly. They only do yearly, $120 a year uh, to use the tool. And I have an instructor asking to use this um, with their students. The reason I denied it is because that's immediate issue. Um, your students are going to get shut out after seven days um, yep. if they don't get things done on time. I had they may accidentally pay. Like, yeah, you may have your it. students accidentally paying $120 for a tool that you want them to create a floor plan for one activity. Yep. Um, and so we denied it because there's other tools that do that. We've referenced some of them on this podcast. Miro can do it and has education policies. Lucidchart can do it and has education policies. Um, so like it takes just some careful thought yeah. to realize that this tool is not the, the best solution. Um, and that's why we shut it down. Not because we just want to like hold back ideas or things. It's because there is a lot of technology um, and we need to carefully evaluate it. There's a lot of tools that I've pushed through that we've talked about here, Coggle, uh, other tools that I've allowed to come through. Why? Because they're useful tools. They're easy for the student to use. Um, they have good policies around how they manage student data um, and what they do. Um, and students aren't going to surprise get charged after seven days to use the tool. Uh, yeah. Like those are good things. I think we have to care for our students um, by carefully looking at the technology that we use because not all technology is good. And, and I want to kind of um, pivot to a point slash wrap with a point that this is not easy. And like Josh yeah. is saying, you know, he's sitting there sleeping and taking naps on end user license agreements. Like you don't even know what a EULA is. That's fine. You don't yeah. need to go find an instructional designer. We love doing this. Go find an instructional technologist, go find a Josh, yeah, go find a will point. in your system who can help you with this because it's not easy. And there are too many and there's, there's plenty of people out there who want to help. But if you are looking to get into some of this yourself. I want to give you two websites. And of course, this is stuff will get linked in and stuff. Uh, commonsense.org. Commonsense.org is a uh, kind of a modern movement. Uh, I don't, I think they might be completely focused on ed tech, but they, they do a lot of evaluation of ed tech, learning curriculum, things like that. So you can get into their site. You can literally plug in like Nearpod, Coggle, whatever. And it brings up examples of other ones like it and they rate them and they have some of these categories that Josh was referencing so you can see if they're accessible or not you can get some of that kind of like privacy related information out of them a new one that's coming out so common sense is very k-12 oriented a very very new one it literally says beta on its page today here in march 2021 uh, if you open it up as coursegateway.org and this one's coming up in the higher education space so the apps will probably be more relevant to what you're expecting to see. Um, and some of the language and design is going to be more higher ed focused. You can search products. They've got reviews. They're doing what Josh and I do uh, to kind of do that due diligence. So those are just two sites, right, to be aware of that can help you address these questions. If you don't uh, have the time to go in depth, 
if you don't know what to look for or if you don't have uh, instructional design resources available to you. Yeah, and that's a good plug. That's uh, There's resources out there to look, look it up um, that can help you do some of the evaluation and what you're looking at. I think you're, you're not alone in the end tech world. You're not alone either to do all of this, like Google a tool is a great starting point. Looking at these tools that were these websites were suggesting, you'll eventually find out if there are problems yeah. uh, in what's going on. It's just, I think taking that second to carefully uh, carefully evaluate. Um, and my last plug would be uh, definitely do what we're talking about if uh, the publisher that you're working with advertised the tool to you. That's my last <laughs> note about all of this. If you remember anything about what I've said today is that if your publisher for a book that you're using promises you a silver bullet tool, um, please take a look at these things that we've suggested. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, because those are often my most problematic ones. <laughs> I've, I've got to second that. All right, <laughs> let's pivot. Yeah. No, no, no crafty segue this for this one. Uh, the tool of the day, the app of the day, is actually one that Josh and I have had a lot of fun with in this space, uh, whether it's approved or denied, and how we'll use it and how we won't <laughs> use it. Right. This is a tool that um, one of Josh's colleagues, one of my former colleagues, and I came across four or five years ago maybe six, and, and we really, really like the idea of it. Uh, hypothesis. So its website is H-Y-P-O-T-H-E-S dot I-S, hypothesis. Wonderful concept, wonderful tool, and, and the idea being that you plug something into it, you plug the web, the web into it, and you can annotate anything. It is a web browser. You can go to the New York Times, you can go to an article in the New York Times, you can have your hypothesis extension in your Google Chrome, your Safari, your Brave, your Firefox, whatever. You can click and drag a couple of words and immediately right there, hypothesis turns on and says, do you want to highlight this or annotate this? Then you can highlight it so you can see it for yourself and you can come back to it at a later time. Other people using hypothesis can see your annotations as well. And then, or you can comment on it. You can actually right there with the real World Wide Web right in front of you, start a conversation about anything you can read. And frankly, if we stopped there, I'm just amazed. It's awesome. I love it. I want it, right? It does have some good educational functions, right? They've got some, some groupings that you can do. You can invite people to groups. So you can keep your annotations public or private to just a group because by default, everything's public. Anything you post can be seen by any other hypothesis user. So it's nice to know for educational purposes, you could lock things down to smaller groups. You could change, um, you know, you could set up hashtag systems so students can track information down by lessons and you can do a lot of good organization of content. And for your personal use, I've met people now who use Hypothesis literally to like track information about vacations. They use it as like a worldwide web bookmarker of everything. Most of your bookmarks, right, are just grabbing a link, putting it in a folder in the browser. This is not only getting a link, but highlighting the picture, highlighting the text underneath of it, putting a comment on things, you know, putting a note for yourself why you liked it or remembered it, wanted to remember it. And, and it's, it's just really awesome. I love it. However, when we want to integrate that into an educational situation, we come back to, you know, free is our aesthetic here. It was free for a very long time, completely free, no strings attached. I think you could maybe like, you could donate money to them. I don't even know how they got money earlier. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. 
but clearly the money ran out. Yep. And and they had to start charging a fee. Josh, Josh, what was the fee? How did this work out? Um, I don't here's the thing. I don't actually remember the fee. That's how frustrating this entire situation was. Um, so like um and I'm I'm looking up on their page now just to like find um find some more information about hypothesis um about what their pricing was um and just for context while we're talking about a hypothesis there's two pieces to hypothesis there is the chrome extension and kind of bookmarking tool that uh uh will is talking about here and that is completely free um, and, and has always been free um there's an lms app that integrates with your lms uh so canvas uh schoology Brightspace, Moodle, they've even got Sakai on there and Blackboard um, that'll integrate with the tool. Um, and that's what most people wanted to use um, because the Chrome, at least in my experience in education, um, because the Chrome extension wall was nice, made students like go other places. It wasn't quite as smooth. Right. Um, it's nice when you're doing it or you have like a classroom that you're doing it with uh, that you can do it easily. But in a lot of spaces, people wanted to use this more in like a hybrid online area because of what it provided. And it was frustrating to have to go like instruct the students on how to download the extension um install it um, some students don't even know that there are extensions in chrome um so like there's right there's, there's a lot of process, background right? prep so what we experienced on our end is we integrated the lms app because it was free um and then uh our wonderful co-worker um i don't know how he did it accidentally registered our student worker or something uh for the contact so we did not find out that it was um not free anymore until much later in the process um and uh the confusing part about this tool was that uh they weren't giving us clarity on what it cost uh they like gave us numbers but then told us it didn't cost anything anymore um uh, because there seemed to be a negative reaction and and now their site basically just says contact us to discuss pricing um about the lms app so that's kind of yeah. that's kind of where it went um in that space uh and will and i laugh about this because we both have slightly like we have like will loves this tool i really liked hypothesis uh, as well um i was the person at our office that with the work of my director as well too um that uh shut the door on hypothesis um pretty hard when this all happened i believe the uh, word is slammed the door oh uh, we yeah i mean we may have had a, a task in our system that was like burn hypothesis <laughs> um <laughs> eradicate and, like, and to be fair eradicate. and to be fair i do love this tool and and hey this is how these app conversations are going to go from time to time like we're not here we're not sponsored by any of these apps yet yeah, we're not we're, always going to promote something to you you can use every single time yeah what i like about it i have it installed in my personal browser i use it sometimes just for me just because i'm interested in annotating something putting a comment seeing what other people are putting out there in the hypothesis community i think it's a better social media app in general, go ahead, use it yourself, get interested. I've come up with another app um, that's a competitor to this tool that I think is so much better for and designed for education first with a better pricing policy. Hey, going to save that for another episode. We don't need to dig yeah, into it. Yeah, we're not going to talk it's about perfect, that. Here. Right. But if you're going to use Hypothesis, I recommend using it for personal purposes. It's really great for tracking the internet, writing down your bookmarks, keeping, keeping kind of the internet organized in one place because you just log into your Hypothesis account and you can see everything you've annotated, anything you've marked, anywhere you've gone in the internet. It's it's really, I think, a good bookmarking system. Yeah. 
And I, and I would encourage you, like, if you're in a situation where you're an instructor and you're able to do this, like, it's, I think it's fine to use in a class where you're in contact with your students a lot. Um, where my concern was in an online or hybrid area, there's this other difficulty, and this comes into evaluating apps, that a lot of, I think, people don't think through is that you are not meeting with your students like every single week yeah. uh, necessarily. And so what often happens is uh, in implementing and integrating an app or an idea into a course becomes more difficult because you can't consistently be there to help talk them through it. Um, yep. And students won't always email you when they have problems. They will when it's conflicting with their ability to submit their assignment, but they will wait till the last possible second to tell you that there's a problem. Yeah. Um, they often won't like email you ahead of time uh, to let you know uh, that something wasn't working. And so like that was some of our concern with hypothesis. And that's in an evaluation of a tool, uh, our concern was, is this a long-term tool that we can keep using? Um, we were afraid that at any moment a hypothesis would stop being uh, the price it was. It would be way too much for us to use. And then we'd have to unintegrate yeah. it through all the activities that we had put it into. It's, it's pretty volatile yeah. at that time. It's definitely pretty volatile. I, and I think the to that point, though, we'll talk about a tool that I think is a competitor later on about this that we're still even kind of, I think, evaluating a little bit ourselves um, because it's newer to uh, even Will. It's newer to me because Will told me about it. Um, so, like, you know, although I had one of my team members already give a brief evaluation of it uh, and I have that on my docket to take a look at. Um, but uh, the one thing I will say that I really love about this and I hope more tools go this direction is this annotating discussion concept. Uh, this idea that uh, one of the great things about Hypothesis was that you could integrate it and students could annotate PDFs together. They could discuss it uh, live online together they were commenting on things it was really nice to be able to do that you could do that on web pages too you could literally comment on um websites uh i think there's so much uh that could be done with an app like that where like you can actually literally comment and write in a text that you're working in you know you're in an english course you're evaluating a book that you're reading or you're working through or you're you're catching things you can literally have the book on the screen and be commenting inside the book uh, this is a place where like we talk about uh, integration, right? This is something that could transform an activity, mm -hmm. um, not just enhance it because you're discussing a book live. You're trying to figure out the page number. You're not doing that in an annotation tool like this. You're literally looking at the page number. It's right there while you're right. discussing it on it. Um, right. It's highlighting elements of it. So I'm excited about this idea and I hope more more of these tools start to emerge with this concept of annotating because I think it brings something new to the discussion world that's been a constant problem um, in discussions, which is uh, like you're posting about something without actually looking at the thing you're posting about. It creates this disconnectedness uh, that's going on in, a, right. in kind of that online and, format that we don't. And at a learning to. level that like read this, go somewhere else to synthesize and respond, it separates those practices. Like I, I have to read on a time and I have to create on a time. And this, this integrates, like you're saying, this integrates to say, at the same time you're reading, also be considering its implication and synthesize that response, yeah. you know, whatever your prompt is. And, and there's a space for both. Sometimes there, I think there's, there needs to be a rev, revitalization of reading for learning just reading for learning, intentional reading. I think that we lose a lot of that. And, and so many textbooks are being optional or tech, you know, like so much is happening in text today with, with, with learning. I think we need some space there. 
But this is something that I think can drive us back to it and help students even realize how much more valuable the text is. Because if you go through and pre-fill some annotations, so you go through your, your chapter for the week and you as the teacher highlight a few things, but no comments, at least as the students are reading it, they're looking for your highlights and wondering why did the teacher highlight this? Yeah. It's and like, then as they start asking questions of each other, they can see why each other's thinking about the, the text as they're going through yeah, it. It's like taking the concept of uh, like writing in the margins of your book and making it a collaborative effort um, in a way that turns into discussion. You know how you kind of argue with the author? Um, well, now <laughs> you can argue with the author while you're arguing with everyone else in the class at the same time. Sounds like a great time to me. But, this is like, a Friday night. night. So uh, some of you may be listening to this, this session right now and be like, okay, should I use hypothesis or shouldn't I? Because they feel torn on it um, to me. And you're right. We are. You know what our recommendation is? I don't know. Uh, we don't have all the answers. Um, right. Try it out. Uh, it's out try it, Yeah, I would encourage you in the right context, try it out. Uh, if you were in a context like you have someone like me uh, who has to evaluate some of these tools for you, don't get angry at them when they say no, uh, because I will tell you this, from a replicatable solution across multiple courses, Hypothesis does not meet that need for us, and that's why we don't use it uh, anymore. If I was teaching my own course and had only myself to worry about uh, and my students, I probably still give it a try uh, because I like I like the tool. Right. Um, and I think we have one or two of that. I think our coworker who found Hypothesis is still using the extension to do stuff in his own courses, uh, yeah. which is fine. Um, just as long as he knows that if they email us, they're not getting We're help. forwarding uh, it to him. Like, yeah, it's forwarding it to him. Um, but uh, that's with that understanding, um, it's in there. Now we'll recommend, you know, uh, preview. I think we, we're probably gonna have a tool that down the road. Uh, could be a good final solution, like good solution that Hypothesis unfortunately did not meet for us um, because they have some more stability on their end. Um, and I know how much it costs. Uh, that's and, a thing. <laughs> and, and to be fair to Hypothesis, Hypothesis, I think, is trying to de-platform the experience. So they want you to be able to use Hypothesis wherever you are in the internet. And this is a tool that is trying to create a platform for social annotation. So, so there's a different goal in their missions. And, and yeah. I think that's okay. But for an educational purpose with a classroom, um, we'll have something that I think can follow up a bit better than that. All right, so that's the app for this week. We really appreciate you taking the time with us to think that through. Uh, and we'll be back here to wrap things up in just a moment. Okay, so we're checking out of the library for the week. This has been a fun conversation. We got bookish, we got into a bit of more nerd stuff. We do appreciate, as always, you jump in the saddle with us as we look to harness uh, technology, both in the digital and physical classroom. Um, we really think that there's a lot more to be found across tools and, and even the works that we're reading. So we hope to bring that back to you next week. Just want to take a moment to say so long. Thanks for all the fish. See ya.